0: Hello and welcome to the huddle brought to you by Wilson, au.wilson.com for all your sporting goods, free shipping for all orders over 99 bucks. And uh, today today we're switching it up a little. We're bringing in someone from the inner sanctum of uh, the NBL industry, Chris Pongrass, the CEO of the Sydney Kings for a little insight into life in the front office of an NBL team. And um, it was a great chat. Uh, we talked about the, the, the challenges of running a pro sports team um, during the middle of a pandemic. Uh, the, 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 all the clubs have, and the league have dealt with a lot throughout the last uh, 6, 9, 12 months. And, and Chris gives us an insight into those challenges. Um, the differences between working in the NBL and working in the front office of an NBA. He, of course, spent six years in the front office with the Memphis Grizzlies Um, so that was interesting and then a lot on a lot on the recruitment of players how that plays out how you how you find a guy if you need to bring someone in mid-season how he went about finding Jay Sean Tate which was an absolute home run for the Sydney Kings in the recruitment area last year Um, and also the process of once you got a guy how you get them going and and bring them into the mix. Of course, a topical point for the Sydney Kings this season with their load management of Jarrell Martin entering the start of the year. So it was a great chat. Lots of really interesting insights from from Chris and uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So sit back, relax. Up next, Chris (laughs) Ponga. Progress, mate. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for for jumping on for a chat.
1: Liam, mate, of course, anytime. I've been waiting for the big moment, waiting <laughs> for the call up for months now.
0: You're um, you're a couple of days on from a win. You're a couple of days out from a home opener that you have been waiting so long for. How's how's it, how are things tracking? Things are good.
1: I mean, winning cures all, right? So no, it's been it's been an interesting period of time for our guys, and I was able to get get to practice yesterday and see them. Gosh, I haven't seen them since, you know, late December, right? I wasn't able to go to our preseason game and so they've been on the road. So it's been a good seven weeks, but things are good. The team's in great spirits. They're back home. Um, they're playing hard and ready for, for a big doubleheader weekend at home. So we haven't seen home games in, in Sydney in 11 months now. So very, very
0: excited. How great is it for you guys as an organisation? You, Paul Smith, everybody else, the family, the friends, to have the team finally back
1: home. Oh, it's hard to describe, right? I think the look on our guys' face the second we were able to tell them that they're going home speaks, you know, volumes. But yeah, it's it's you somewhat feel disconnected. People forget this, right? But you know, for the the, the staff and and the people in the office and Paul as an owner and me as executive, you know, you're used to being around these guys a lot. You know, five days out of the seven, right? Mm -hmm. Or we travel with them on the road, and to have them leave for seven weeks and you working behind the scenes, you're talking to them, but you feel somewhat disconnected from the group. So having them back, having home games in Sydney, reconnecting with our members again. It's been eleven months, so that's it's it's hard to to put words to describe it but i'm just i'm thrilled that these guys get to experience it for the guys that haven't got to play in sydney as well Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of returning guys we've got a lot of guys jarell dj you know a number of guys coming on this roster that have never played in this building so I'm, i'm i'm pumped for them but just to experience the sydney fans and home crowd and and get everyone in the building i'm ecstatic mate it's a big
0: weekend what kind of what kind of capacity are we talking um on the weekend and, and what kind of crowd are we, are we looking at
1: it's hard to say honestly right now what's difficult is we've only had four days of sales so yeah, right. we we're able to announce last wednesday went on sale last friday so i think you know I'm, I'm imploring all of sydney and and even all of the new zealand fans that that are coming out to to get behind us so um you know we've been working closely with New South Wales Health um, and and the government and QBA. so we're hoping for a big crowd, but but time will tell.
0: I, um, I described on the show last week chatting with Derek Rucker and he, he was saying what the one of the things that he was looking forward to over the next little while is to to see well, what is the identity of this Sydney team this year. you know we haven't we kind of he was trying to get a grasp on on what the team was going to be. And I sort of said, well, to be honest, I kind of see this team right now as being in kind of survival mode, given all the injuries that they're dealing with, right? Like two starters, Xavier Cooks and Diddy Lizada, out and some key pieces off the bench, Daniel Kickett and, and Angus Glover and, you know, guys coming in as injury replacements, Tom Vadanovich, now Dexter Koenig-Drew. And to try to get wins in that kind of environment is a really difficult thing to do in a super competitive league. After this stretch of time with the team away from home, now that they've come back, how are you feeling about what they've been able to get done over the first four rounds of the season? Uh, you're
1: spot on, right? Where obviously you never want to have your identity going into the, the season as survival mode, but that was what the heck cards were dealt, right? Zave mm. injuring himself in preseason, you know, kicks as well, uh, Didi a couple games in, Glove the second game in, so you're right, like very quickly we had to adapt with the cards we were dealt. And, you know, they're all key pieces to, you know, what we want to build for this club. And right now, you know, we're staring down the barrel of two and three. I would happily, you know, what we're trying to do is keep our head above water till we Mm -hmm. get all the reinforcements back, right? And so staying at 500, you've seen in every year in, in the NBL, teams that are 500 generally make the playoffs or make the finals last year I think it was 15 of 28 wins and so we expected to far exceed being a 500 don't get me wrong but if we keep our head above water until the reinforcements are back I think mate we're going to be a completely different team and I think everyone saw that on the week when we when we played Adelaide that again we're a key pieces down and we got guys like Tommy Vadonovich coming in and stepping up and playing big minutes right Jalen Galloway off the bench, he's our DP, and mm-hmm. Archie Woodhill. The other game, he wasn't there on, on on the weekend, but you know, Dexter coming in. These guys have to step up and play much bigger roles that we weren't anticipating. And to be two and three, you know, when we could have easily been four and one, mm-hmm. you know, had some things gone our way, three and two, but we're two and three, and I, I couldn't be more pleased with our guys. And again, with a quick succession of games coming in this weekend and then to the hub. Uh, sorry, the Melbourne Cup. It's uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough on teams, right? Where we've started to see injuries with other guys, and you never want to see them, right? And I know Melbourne United are experiencing them with Shay and with Chris, and that's gonna be the challenge for teams right now is to see um, a, you know larger contingent of games crammed into a shorter period of time and. You just got to manage them effectively. So your role players and your bench are vital in getting through thirty-six games.
0: Was that a yeah, Was that a genuine slip of the tongue, or is the Melbourne Cup the uh, the official line from the uh, the Sydney? Oh um, that was, I <laughs>
1: promise you, no, that was that was a slip of the tongue. It is it is the NBL Cup uh-huh. in Melbourne.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Slip of the tongue. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, you talk about Tom Vodanovic. We, we mentioned him there, man. Congratulations on on how that has panned out. He has been sensational now, obviously his ability to just kind of like, hold the fort down low in a physical sense, set great screens to get guys like Casper Ware and Dion Vescevic open to make plays, but you knew he was gonna be able to come in and make shots. At least you knew he had that capability and you hoped he'd be able to get that done. And to see him out there in key moments, knocking those shots down must fill you with happiness.
1: Again, I think you and I talked about this when we were looking at guys, right? There's, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, it's, it's January and trying to find local replacement players. A lot of them are playing in Europe or a lot of them are um, preparing for NBL one. And so you've got a very limited set of guys, but, you know, we had been looking at Tom for a while and just having our, injury replacement list ready to go in case. And when it happened, you know, Tom, we were looking at who could be a specialist, right? We knew he could, he's that shooting um, off the bench and he proved that in, in um, you know, off season of this year. Um, and I'm just really excited. He gets the opportunity to play extended minutes. And I think he's even surprised me about some of the um, tools that he brings, you know, on the defensive end as well. He's a big body. And last game he was, he was back and he was, he was pushing Isaac and, and DJ out of the, out of the key. And mm. that's not an easy thing to do. There's some mm-hmm. big guys and there are some guys that struggle. When you coming into these Adelaide games, they're much bigger than us and they're going to play through their bigs. And I think he did a remarkable job. So I'm, I'm excited for him and, Again, you know, his role is going to be vital over the next couple of months because, you know, with the other injuries we've got, you know, that was a key reason why we listed him as a nominated injury replacement too. So even when we get guys back, there's a potential to be able to shift him to replace another guy that might be out as well.
0: Right, right. So no matter what, when those guys come back, will he stay on with the squad and keep practicing? That's the hope, yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I was going to maybe touch on this a little bit later, but it, it kind of that, that conversation is a nice segue. Um, part of what I'm hoping people can get out of this conversation is a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into um, the, the workings and the day to day and how things work behind the scenes at an NBL executive level. Right now, obviously, there's some there's some boring elements to that for the average <laughs> fan in terms a of lot. there's some too, but There's and, a lot of boring stuff, you know, dealing time. with the sales team and yeah. and things like that. But the exciting part for people really who are following the league is recruitment and and, and finding players, signing players, going through that process of working out who you're going to bring in. I I reckon people would be surprised at how kind of um um. Almost mundane, some elements of it are. Like everybody Definitely. Everybody out there is communicating with their friends on WhatsApp. And that's how NBL and NBA GMs are talking to agents and finding yeah. players. Take us through, a, for example, a, a scenario where, and we hope that this doesn't happen, but just a complete hypothetical where you have to replace an import mid-season for yep. whatever reason that may be. And we see the Adelaide 36ers and Jeff Van Groningen in this situation right now. What, what would the process involve? How, who would you speak to? What would, what wheels would start turning and how would it play out? So, I mean, we, we do
1: our best. It's, it's also tough to do it in season, but we do our best to keep essentially a list of available players ready to go in case a guy goes down again, local and import imports, more challenging in current times, right? With, ability to get them in the country and then two weeks of quarantine and then ramping them up afterwards. So I, you know, I feel for Adelaide because that's going to be, that's a month, five, six week process to, mm-hmm. to have that guy on court. So I don't envy Jeff and, and that team and having to, to deal with that process right now, but constantly wearing, you know, myself and Adam as well, but in communication with agents, international agents, local agents, and they're constantly sending their guys through say, Hey, this guy's a, if you need, Systems, this guy's available this guy's available but you know i've been lucky enough to build some pretty strong relationships with with key agents in the u.s where you know they've they're in the upper tier of of an organization they can filter it down to their guys in europe and so on and then have them send me guys and you pretty much go out to the market when you need a guy and you have an injury and or you're replacing an import you go out to your your contacts your 20, 30, 40 close agents that you work with and say, this is what we're looking for. This is the range. this is the price range who's available. A lot of the time, some of them, depending on the time of the year, are experiencing challenges in Europe or they're not liking the team they're placed with or they've got a buyer tied to their agreement. So, you know, it's finessing, again, which players are in different situations and you might be able to be at the perfect time, right? Where you pluck a guy out he went into the G League for eight weeks and you know, in other years, not this year, but say he goes into the G League and he's hoping for an NBA call-up. NBA call-up deadline passes, it's January and he goes, you know what, I'm ready to go make some money. And you you find the perfect piece that that you would naturally have got four months before. So mm-hmm. that's that's the interesting part where it might work in your favorite times. This year's obviously more challenging than most, but yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it to to just finding a guy and who's available. It's you know it's salary negotiations it's it's the fit with your team it's guys that they've played with it's willingness to to want to come over to the nbl and i think we're seeing more and more of that in recent years for sure and uh, you know that's a long that's a (laughs) long-winded answer to what should be a very short question
0: no in fact you've only i I imagine you've only just started to scratch the surface of of what you could divulge and it's it's amazing how often and you even when you're in the NBA I know you're keeping a close eye on the NBL how often a mid-season change or or a roster alteration of some sort um, has a massive impact on the NBL landscape that season you know you think back a few years back when when Bryce Cotton arrived at Christmas time and he took that team Cass, to the title right. and right Casper Ware for, for Melbourne United I mean that was a little bit too late for them that year but he then stuck around and they won the title the next year that year that they won the title Adelaide had to replace and import early doors and in comes Josh Childress and that whole team comes together and they make their way to the grand final. And guys like Lamar Patterson arrive midseason. Uh um, Miles Plumley last year. I don't need to remind you about the impact <laughs> that a guy like he had. But it's those mid-season, and it's interesting to hear what you're saying there because it it sounds like like you've got two guys right now that are keepers, right? Jarrell Martin and Casper, where there's absolutely no doubt about it. But the due diligence would mean you never know what's going to happen around the next corner and you need to have your lists ready of guys ready to go.
1: Yeah. And we actually took, we were proactive last year. You know, unfortunately again, we deal with some injuries at the start of last season where we knew coming in we're rolling with two imports and with that flexibility that if there is an injury, we've got that third import available. Kevin Lish goes down the second game and breaks his foot, right? Craig Moller then deals with, with an ankle injury, um, and we knew okay, well, we need to again looking at the local landscape, bringing in import here is vital. So, Deshaun Taylor comes on his way, right? We got very lucky with being able to see him in person mm-hmm. in the blitz and understanding this is a good fit for our group, right? And that was a conscious decision going into the season to give us flexibility, and luckily it worked out in our favor, right? But again, you're right, it's just keeping tabs on guys, and you get lucky, you find guys that look now also at this league and some see and go, you know what? That looks pretty good. What Bryce is doing down there. He's the best player and he's he's one of the best players in this league. And he's making a nice living and he's going to live in beautiful Perth or Sydney or Melbourne. That seems like a pretty good life for me. And so guys, you start to see, take that, that option of going to play overseas. And they look at Europe and they look at Australia. And now we're becoming much more enticing
0: location for these guys to land. In your very first season as an MDL CEO, you hit an enormous home run with the recruitment of Jay Sean Tate. How did you find JT? Oh
1: mate, I can't, I'm definitely not going to take credit for it all because our coaching staff did a phenomenal job of vetting him as well. You know, we, I was over in summer league with Will. Uh, we got to watch a number of Jay Sean's games. Um, he was on the list of guys that we were looking at and Talking to him on the phone, you know, we get, we, can we connected with his agent um, who I've known and will knew through a, a number of different contacts and hearing and talking to JT, it was a no brainer right at the end of the day, hearing how humble he was seeing what he could do, his ambitions. We actually had to, you know, it's been widely reported that he took less money to come play with us because we sold him on the idea that, you know, this is a pit stop to get you to the NBA And come to come to Australia, take less, be a star in this league, and you'll make it over there. And so, recruiting him um, was was definitely difficult in that. um, Not that he didn't want to come here, but we had there were a number of teams that were throwing a lot at him, both in the NBL and particularly in the NBA. uh, Sorry, in the uh, Euro League, and. I'm just, I'm so excited for the guy. So once we got to talk to him and we had a number of other guys talk to him as well, Cass and Bogues, and through that recruitment process, everyone knew that he was the right piece for this. And then as you've seen, he came down here and he lived up to all of our expectations. Again, we'd hoped he'd get to the NBA in a year, but he's, he's, he blew us away with what he could do in the NBL and then how he's looked after his body and his game and how that's developed He's starting in the NBA now. I mean, oh. I'm can. I'm. I. I'm not going to ever go on record to say that I would have expected in, in 12 months from when he was here to there that he's starting in the NBA. Again, mm-hmm. I think he's an NBA player. That is remarkable. And he's, mm-hmm. a, And that is a testament, honestly, not to us, uh, mainly to, you know, to him and how he's looked after his body and how he's developed and, and our play development team, right? Will Weaver and James Duncan, who worked with him a lot, and, mm-hmm. and Adam Ford you know, and Luke Longley and and Alex Marich, all of these guys that had a really unique impact on his game, they've done a phenomenal job again to where he is, but that guy is driven more driven than anyone I've ever met.
0: Mm. Um, and of course the the question mark that's hovered over him, his entire career. And he talks about it when he gets the chance to, he it's says, too Look, small. I'm too small, right? I'm undersized for, for the position that, that people want to play me in and I was raising that question mark on his entrance into the NBL. When, as soon as you sign him, you'd remember the comments that people like we were ma- me were making saying, well, this is a team that struggled on the glass um, the previous season, and, and they need a guy to come in as, as Bogues comes across and tries to contest shots from the weak side, who's gonna clean it up on the other side? They need a bigger body. How did you know that he was gonna be everything that he turned out to be in the NBL at the powered forward spot, at that size, prior to him actually coming out and getting it done? I mean, everyone
1: that we talk to, you know, his college players, you know, play teammates and coaches and guys in Europe. And first comment is the guy's got a motor. He plays higher than anyone on the floor. And he's bigger. He plays bigger than himself, right? And he's not a, he's not all, but that guy can can just move quicker than guys he can push people around it also helps when you've got seven foot Andrew Bogut standing and protecting the rim so that was confidence in us to know we can we can bring a guy in that is not your typical foreman especially Mm -hmm. in the NBL Mm -hmm. because we've got such reinforcements behind protecting the rim and again that that was that was encouraging and knowing that when we put that on the table to both JT and to the rest of the team to say this is how we're going to manage this team on this with this personnel everyone knew that that was going to be the case right but again he exceeded our expectations in how he both defended and played that four spot because you know he couldn't have predicted how successful he'd be but where he is now Um, and you know a testament again to him and to our coaching staff what they're able to do
0: I've been saying for years that that, that undersized tag, and I kind, of, I kind of lost sight of it in my assessment of JT coming into the season, but that undersized tag of guys coming into the NBL, um, often they wind up doing really, really well here. And, and the obvious examples are at the point guard position, right? Yep. Guys like Jerome Randall and Casper yep. Ware are considered too small to defend their position in, in the NBA. Bryce Cotton is another perfect example. And then you've got other guys here right now, like, I mean, almost Jarrell Martin, Vic Law, these types of guys who are power forwards in the NBA, but yeah. well, uh, Vic Law's a small forward in the NBA and they're playing a position up here. Is, is that something that you keep in mind and you look at in the recruiting process to say, all right, well, they're playing that there, but the transition into this league and the way the bodies that exist in this competition and the, the pace that this thing is played at I can see it working.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it was definitely a risk, right? Is you've seen it work really well in the NBA and teams that go small and Houston tried it and it, it again while they didn't win the championship, there was it worked for them. They had what was it last year they had no player above seven six seven <laughs> on their roster and PJ <laughs> Duck is playing their five man, mm. and so it's been successfully implemented over there. And of course, it's going to be a risk here because this game in this league is more physical than any league I would say in the world, right? Guys uh, um, play freely here, play quicker, but there's just mainly there's bigger bodies in this league and they push guys around. And so of course that was in the back of your mind coming in to say, is this going to work? It did. Um, But I think the way the game's evolved with how important the three ball is playing five out and, and stretch fives and stretch fours, that's vital. It's hard, to, it's hard to stick in in old basketball where you've got your typical five man that can only stick around the paint. Um, and so that's where when we were looking at Jarrell, yes, he's an NBA four, but that's where we gave him the freedom in his recruitment as well to say, we're running things through you and you can be a five in this league and you know, good luck to these fives that are bigger bodies that are trying to guard you on the perimeter because you're just going to blow by them. And when you grab the ball off the rim, and he's running it up, there's the guys that are backpedaling, right? It's hard to stop him in transition. So that was exciting for me and play quicker and play through pace. But that's also 40s, you know, mentality and was Will's mentality that they wanted to pick up the pace. And so our recruitment definitely falls in line with the coaching style that these guys have too. How do you,
0: how do you assess how Jarrell has gone over the first four weeks of his NBL career?
1: Great. I mean, the guy had a really tough challenge, he... He landed Christmas Day, or was it Boxing Day? So he spent New Year's Eve and Christmas. So no, he landed mid-December. But he he spent Christmas and New Year's in quarantine, comes out, leaves and flies directly from Sydney to Albury, flies from Albury to Cairns, to Brisbane, to Adelaide. <laughs> so Sunday was the first time he'd actually been out about in Sydney. And so I took him out. We went out for dinner last night, but you know, he's, he's, you've seen these post-game interviews. The guys is is a sweetheart. He's, he's such a nice, such a humble player. He plays shows out on the floor, very respectful. Um, but he, he's going to turn this league around. He's only, you know, just starting. Right. So Mm. we saw 23 from him. He had a 27 point game. He's averaging a double, double just over 20 and near 20 and 10. And, um, this guy can play. And so I'm just excited for him to play the full 36 and everyone to see that across the season he's he's going to be a, a menace to guard. But no, he's been great. Um, and so I was listening to some of the commentary last night, they are, you know, of our game and they said, Oh, is he scratching the surface? Oh, he's had a slow start. And I'm like, I don't know what these guys are watching. This guy's now a slow start. He's averaging a double double, but all right, sure. <laughs> if that means he's gonna he's gonna keep building from there, then I'm all about it.
0: Um, I wrote today about the, the key strategic change at the other end of the floor that that 40 made with the, with the group heading into that game last Saturday night and I, I feel like it puts Jarrell in, in a much more comfortable position at the defensive end. Um, did, did Did you feel like watching from from afar watching that game that that he looked more comfortable defensively and that will play into his hands moving forward?
1: Yeah, definitely. and you know I've seen the comments around how 40 adjusted and I think it's spot on, right? He, you know, obviously going to make different adjustments for different teams, but that caught them off guard and he was much more comfortable in that defensive scheme than, than he was previously. And not to say it was bad, but um, I think the whole team was comfortable with how, how we were able to manage that game. And I think we took control and managed it for each quarter. and, And I think that was the only game so far that we've won all four quarters. And I think we saw a complete game and just the limit of what we're capable of doing. You know Um, I think in the other games we played three quarters and, and a quarter throughout, we just kind of had different lapses. And I think that's just building at the start of the season anyway. So without we're playing limited preseason games and some of the injuries that we're being forced with, we're starting to come into our own and, and realize that this is how we, how we can play and, I'm happy for the guys that they are able to see how they can you know where they can get to uh, this
0: season and and put some teams on notice as well. we We spoke earlier about um, your time in the NBA where well, we alluded to it, but obviously you spent six seasons working in the NBA with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you were the team's director of operations for Director of Basketball Operations for a period of that time. you and i you and I actually first met a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if you remember, but at the at the summer league at a pool party in Las Vegas, while mm-hmm. Nelly was performing, yes. <laughs> it was a great setup, great night. We we kind of you, met. me,
1: Mark Beecroft. I think Jeremy was there. There was there was a number of us there. I do remember <laughs> that very vividly. Tommy Greer. Yes, this is I- before he's the G- he's the CEO of the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. That's where I met Tommy, and we had a very good chat.
0: Indeed. No, he was my, uh, my running mate at the time. And Nelly was just burning it up on the other side, yes. of, the pool, other side <laughs> of the pool, but now, now you've come back home and you're working in the NBL. What, what part of working in that NBA world are you missing the most?
1: I think for me, the relationships that I was able to build with the guys that I work with, but more importantly as well, the, the guys around the league, um, the best in their field you know Bobby Webster and Sean Marks and a number of the agents as well um that I still keep in close contact with but you know I still I, I had to text from him this morning Chris Wallace who was who was my boss who was uh the GM for the Grizzlies for over 10 years and and my tenure there um texts me every game day asking about Jarrell right and he's asking me texts me after every win that congratulations go Kings and John Hollinger, I keep in close contact with and a number of these guys that for me, that's the one thing that I miss is is working side by side and learning from them because gosh, I would not be here without a number of those guys. And Ed Stefanski, um, particularly, I want to uh, give rise to cause he was, he's a, a big reason why I'm here today and I consider him a close friend and mentor. So working with those guys, learning from those guys, um, because by far they're some of the most brilliant basketball minds and and just feeding off them and I still ask a lot of them for advice on both players and situations and things that we're dealing with because they've seen it across the board you know I still keep in close contact with our European scout that we had over there and asking about some of the Euro guys because he's he's the best you know one of the best in the business so I never want to I never want to ever think I'm i um, smartest in the room because I know I'm not there's always people who are smarter and and I definitely want to feed off and steal knowledge from them so that's that's the the thing I probably miss
0: the most in that mate Well well, well speaking of stealing knowledge obtaining knowledge I mean I, you you have a big leg up in that that front office world having worked at that elite level in there. You know, there are very few MBL executives who have spent that kind of considerable time in yeah. the front office of an NBA team. What, what, what area of your job right now, do you feel like you, you um, were able to bring the most, uh, the, the best IP from that NBA world into? Is it, is it recruiting? Is it, um, you know, uh, a focus on on high performance. I know you worked alongside John yes. Hollinger. Is it a focus on on analytics that you learned over there? Is it an, an, another element? This you know, corporate partnerships and the like. What 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 do you think taught you the most from your time? Taught me
1: the most. I would honestly, I think definitely recruitment, and I think relationship building in that process. Again, having these relationships I built with agents along the way, it was a much easier transition to recruit guys because they knew the person I was and and the program I was trying to build. And again, they had known will where they knew what they were sending their player into right. Where sometimes that not might not be the case. I think salary cap management is very important, um, particularly in this league. So understanding how to navigate, um, you know, the, the CBA essentially over here and, and make sure that you're working within both the capacities that you have from a financial position um and the willingness of owners to to be able to make that spend but also how you function for a long-term strategy so looking three to five years it's not a year-to-year process so understanding when key free agents are going to become free agents and structuring certain contracts to either fall in line with that or know when you sign a guy do you want to sign them long term and that's a reason why because you look at the team and what we want to build in three years and i have a good idea of of our recruits for next year but the year after as well and exactly how I want to structure the finances to ensure that we're in a position to go after some key free agents both imports and locally so for me I think that long-term strategy which is definitely something that is necessary over there you see guys having to plan you know structure their contracts and, and play contracts around knowing that one big free agents available in three years time, right? So they're clearing cap space and and sending our draft picks, whatever it might be. So that for me, I think is really important. I love that you touched on the high performance piece. I work closely actually with two Australians that were in our performance team over there and, and the focus that they put on, on player welfare, but also that load management, which is a common saying that you hear and not many people know too much about it, but hiring someone like Toby Banfield, how I experienced in that and giving him the tools to say, I want you to make sure that we're managing this from a similar approach to what I've seen and what we'll seen." And he, was, he, he implemented that better than we could imagine
0: as well. Strike the balance there when it comes to high performance because it was it was a topical, you know, it was a, top, a, a of course, topical point of in course. the first week or so of the season when you guys were easing Jarell. know, restrictions of
1: load management, mate, the two things that no fan wants to hear.
0: <laughs> right. And and I'm sitting there on the call with, with Drewy, and you're in that close game against the Titans, and and I, I noticed in the corner of the screen there a conversation when Geordie when Hunter found out between 40 and toby banfield Definitely. and i said on the call i would assume that's a conversation to say look Jarrell's hit his limit is it okay for him to go back in Spot and drewy Drew, of course arced up and said i'll tell you what if i'm coaching that team i'm not asking the high performance man <laughs> behind the, the the bench if i can put my guy in from a from an executive level in directions and and conversations and working with the coaching staff and the high performance team how do you strike that balance for me, it was giving
1: Toby and that and his team um, the understanding that we're going to trust the experts in this. Right? Of course, you want to win games, but you got to look, especially that this is a thirty-six game season. And mm-hmm. I agree. Of course, it's frustrating to have those limits put in place, but there's a reason why they're there. We've seen, and I've seen it particularly in my time. You know, there was a, a, a roster in in one of my years in memphis where we had 28 guys come through an nba record for 28 guys on our roster that year because we had that many injuries not for that reason particularly a lot of them were bad injuries that were non-manageable but i see it and i i look at how that can cripple a team for the entire season but following on from that and what we wanted to implement to say we understand that we want to win games and 40 understands it too, but we need to manage these players to get the, you know, for them to be playing game 35 and game 36 and actually coming to the peak of their performance in those games and not on a decline. Right. And so there's some science behind it. We have um, catapult system, which tracks our guys movements and helps with some algorithms. Again, I'm loosely talking about this because I'm not the expert in it, Mm -hmm. um, but that helps formulate an understanding of how guys load you know where their load is tracking and then how many minutes they should be playing based on practice that week based on previous injuries based on where they are in the game and of course you can get there's there's bandwidth to go above and beyond and that you were spot on right when when 40 is talking to Toby about to say he's got a couple more minutes left in him of course but can you imagine also the implications if Someone goes out there, exceeds their limit and does something drastic that puts them out for two months or longer. You know, I think that that can, can, there's long term effects to that. And so, of course, it's frustrating for fans and people don't necessarily understand it and say, oh, you know, we didn't do that back in the day or that's new basketball. You can't rely on it you know it's it's it, it's a tough balance to 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 find but we've given toby the tools to say you tell us what we need to do and and the limits and we're going to trust the experts in that
0: um, of course the nightmare scenario is Like what Illawarra had last season when Aaron Brooks snaps his Achilles, you know, four or five weeks into the season, right? And he's a guy that exactly they they picture as going to be an enormous piece to their puzzle, probably their leading scorer throughout the season, help them win a whole bunch of games. But and hindsight's a beautiful thing, but when you look back on it, you go and I was flagging it a bit at the time. This guy's 35 and he hasn't played for a long period of time. Now he looks like he's in incredible shape, exactly whip it. Um, but perhaps now we will never know, but perhaps if there was a a, um, a, a more controlled approach Ramp up. To, yep. to, to his um, you know entry into the season, this is a tough league, as we know, and you're going to be playing at a high level when you're out there. Now your guy's different. He's what, 23. Um, he's a completely different player, but I, I imagine that's the kind of thing that was on your mind. That's the nightmare scenario that of we're course. trying to avoid. And you never know. You're right. We're,
1: that, a lot of these injuries are uncontrolled, right? Mm-hmm. Didi and Zave come down, they land on a guy's foot, getting a rebound. There's nothing you can do for that. There are some that, you know, chronic issues that a player might have had in the past where you see that him trending or his balance is off where he's exploding more so on one leg. Again, the technology nowadays can, can start to pull that information. So you can see when he's trending in one particular way and then you've got you know, previous year's um, data to support it. And you know, okay, we've got to pull this guy back or we've got to just slow practice. All of those things be are spot on. Trying to con- control um, these things is always going to be difficult. And there's always people that are going to get injured. Like we're suffering it right now. We, mm. I, I consider our sports science and performance team one of the best in the league. But, you know, we, we got dealt some pretty harsh cards that we couldn't control. Mm. But of course, injuries are going to come one way or another. And we just try to manage them to the best of our ability.
0: Um, you were talking before about your relationships um, with with people uh, all across the industry and across in the NBA and your time with the Memphis Grizzlies. I think one of the other cool things about the Sydney Kings right now is the relationship with the New Orleans Pelicans oh, yes. that exists, right? And you, you talk about Didi right there. He's an enormous piece to that. but. Um, you've got David Griffin sitting there on, on court side in game one of that semifinal series as the place explodes and Didi goes off and you win that game. Will Weaver, of course, deep in the interview process with the, with the Pelicans for being a part of that, that coaching staff. Tell us about the, the relationship that exists there, how often you guys are in communication and where things are at with Didi as part of that mix.
1: Funny story, actually. I'll get in. It's a little off topic, but I'll give you a quick snippet of the first time I actually met Trajan um, because it was by chance. I was invited. I'm close friends with Kirk Lakeup, who is the assistant GM with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Every year in Summer League we'd, when I was out there, he'd organize pickup games with a lot of the people from Warriors, but a lot of other teams' personnel would attend, right? So we're playing and there's a number of guys there after it, I'm my, I can't get a cab. I can't get an Uber for some reason can't get home and if the car pulls up and it's, it's Trajan lanes and he's in Uber and he asked, Oh, do you want to ride home? And so that was the first experience with Trajan where he, <laughs> he gave me a 45 minute lift back in, in the middle of the stinking hot in Las Vegas. And uh, I think it's, you know, he's, he's a fantastic executive, great, great person. Um, uh, to be part of that organization. And David Griffin, again, when he was here um, he's a, He's, he's developed some teams that are, you know, one of the best that you'll see in recent years. And they've, they've got a long way to go with this team because they've they've got the pieces that are right there, Brandon Ingram and Zion. And I'm excited that I think is going to play a really big, big role for them. So they're excited about Didi. You know, it was, you know, we weren't sure whether he'd be coming back this year. I think a lot of things with COVID changed. If there was no COVID, I I, I don't think we have Dee. Um, I think for things over in the US, definitely changed their approach. Um, they saw the development that he got here, and they were comfortable to say, "We'd love to have him back with you guys another year." So we talk often. I talk to Trajan quite often, and David as well. Our performance guys talk with their medical team. Our coaches talk with their um, their play development staff. There's connections that are going on beneath the surface, well above and beyond Trajan and David myself talking um that filters down again trying to make sure that didi's preparing um and is going to be an nba player one
0: day so it's it's such a competitive industry right it's so competitive at this nbl level but also and especially at that nba level and those organizations are constantly looking for a way they can gain a one percent advantage on their competition And I look at that Pelicans organization right now and and Trajan Langdon and and David Griffin and and their interest in the NBL and feel like maybe they feel like this untapped resource um, and having an interest in it like they do um, might give them a tiny little edge. It's 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 a part of the world that maybe they feel like the rest of the NBA is a little naive to you know, and they've got obviously Didi here and they're coming down and um, they find Will Magne. They bring him into the exactly. mix. A guy like Will Weaver, as I said, gets deep in that in that interview process. Do you get that feel from them that, that they're the most tapped into the NBL, NBA team that exists right now?
1: I think yes, but I, I think teams are catching on pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Warriors, you know, drafting Justinian, because he had already signed a next star deal down here Mm -hmm. so they knew we've seen that development pathway if we're going to draft this guy we know he's going to get better playing in that league and they're comfortable again you know with these draft and stash players you know in that second round teams don't often have the ability to determine where they go and not that they do but you know to be able to Um, be comfortable with where a player's playing overseas a lot of them go over to Europe and China and you don't have a say and you're not as in direct communication and helping manage their play style or you know the player's performance and their medical all of those things where they're definitely very much in tune to it and um, they've got guys coming out and and guys in Australia that are watching this league pretty heavily and um, I think for them, I think they've put again a, a number of teams on notice in the NBA that this is, this is a great place to have players, but also to, to pull guys out of.
0: The incredible thing that has stood out to me over the course of this, I don't know, maybe we're 45, 50 minutes deep into this conversation. You've somehow managed to stay sane over the past <laughs> 12 months. You know, what like you—that you, impression made. Oh <laughs> well, you—you you know, you're coherent. Wife, you're making sense. i tell
1: you otherwise. My wife would tell you otherwise.
0: <laughs> but seriously, like managing a pro sports team in a pandemic. What an incredibly difficult thing that you and, and all those other, well, not just NBL execs, but execs across pro sport across the world right now, but, but specifically in the NBL, what, what have been, and geez, the list I'm sure is enormous, but what have been kind of the key challenges for you over this past, I don't know, let's say, let's beyond the grand final series, moving on from there in, in, in getting this, this season up, in making sure that that the club's going to be viable from a revenue production standpoint and the like working with the other GMs and the league supporting your team while they've been on the road like what have been the key challenges for you over this six nine month period
1: Um, I, I mean all of the other issues that we're dealing with you know again you're right the list goes on right it's tough thing for us as a team as an organization for staff for players is just the unknown and there's there's no you know there's no direction that anyone could give because this pandemic took over where we weren't sure when we were going to play how we're going to play if we were going to play and yes I think the league's done a great job in in making sure that delaying the season to get it up and running the challenge for most teams is is a financial one because you know we rely without a, a lucrative broadcast deal that's coming to teams we rely on in-game entertainment and fans ticket sales corporate sponsorship corporate hospitality and you know you can drive those things in advance of the season but if you're not playing games that's at risk and your ability to sell you know again we're playing this weekend we've only had seven you know five days thus far to to be able to sell for that game and that's just a circumstance we know that that's what we're going to be forced into so it's i think around the league but particularly you know myself and and the comfort and support that i have knowing we've got an ownership group in paul smith paul kine tc that they know the challenges that we're faced with and they're committed to making sure this team survives and is viable but it's it's a it's a daunting, um, approach that I wouldn't like to be faced with, I'll tell you that much. So it's definitely a financial challenge and then filtering that down, right. that becomes back to reduced hours for staff and, you know, trying to chase down sponsors to ensure that they're staying on board and are committed and, you know, things change. Um, you know, we were lucky enough. We'd, we'd taken the approach for our season memberships to reduce the cost of them two weeks before COVID hit. And that Mm. worked out to be a very lucky decision for us because Mm. we wouldn't want to obviously overcharge people if, if they couldn't afford it. And so it worked out well that we reduced by 30% because, you know, we want to get more fans engaged and more Kings members involved. And so that worked for us. So we got lucky there, but other than that, there's been, there's been a laundry list of challenges made, but I'm just, I'm excited. The fact that basketball's back, our players are being able to play because for them again, their off season was six months of playing against the same guys. And the mm. fact now they're being able to play against one another. And we've got games in Sydney, mm. fingers crossed this weekend, you know, where uh, we're good to go. So you, you quickly forget some of the challenges once, the, once the game's up and running and to see some wins and to see the excitement on some of these guys faces. It's a, uh, it's a real rewarding experience. But,
0: but was there a point in time during the off season where, where we are right now, where we're we're in the middle of an awesome season that's every game is super fun to watch. High-level imports, um, great talent on the floor, great Australian talent, guys, like Dian Vesejevic and Jock Landau and these uh, these guys who may otherwise have been playing elsewhere around the world. Uh, And you're about to have a home game with crowds in the building, with members there holding their memberships and corporate partners there, Entertaining guests. Was there a point in time during the off season where you thought we wouldn't get to where we are right Definitely, now?
1: Definitely, one hundred percent. We, I mean, part of our job is to plan for that. You know, we had five or six different budgets on the table ready to go to say, okay, if we've got eight thousand fans, if we've got zero fans, if the season's cancelled, where do we end up? Right. And you got to plan. And we threw all of you know, majority of those are thrown in the bin there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes in planning that doesn't come into fruition, but I think that's going to, that's important nowadays where there's definitely a, there was definitely a point in time where I wasn't sure how and when, and if we were going to get up and running. Um, So the fact that we are, um, you know, it's, it's a testament to a lot of people that put in a lot of hard work and, and for my other eight GMs and CEOs that have been the same boat, like I, you know, we all know, I think it's brought us all closer that we now rely on one another to help each other out. We know that if we can drive, you know, we're, getting, we're doing, a, trying to do a bit with um, the New Zealand breakers for this mm. Friday game because, you know, gosh, I can't complain because I look at what some of these other teams are dealing with as well. And we were on the road for seven weeks, but the 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 breakers are on the road for potentially majority of this season. And so I can never complain because there's always people worse off and definitely out of sport and, and globally, but it, more importantly in Australia as well that have suffered more so in this pandemic so i'm uh i'm very much um excited about my ability to to help lead this team but i know there are people in in a much tougher situation so i'm always i'm always humbled to
0: for the position that i'm in mate we've done very well man You've done very well to stay sane. I'm sure your sort of wine case is in much worse condition than mine is on the week to week. Haven't got through what? Quarter full (laughs) bottle sitting in the back, you know, you've done very, very well. And, and, and congrats. This has been great fun. Thanks. Thanks for joining me and great luck. All the best for Friday night. So good to have basketball. I mean, down in Melbourne, we've had basketball back in, in Melbourne over the last week or so with Southeast Melbourne hosting Melbourne United, looking forward to, having their first home game the the Illawarra Hawks with their name back in their action. Their name's back. They're going to have a home game tomorrow night and you guys are going to have your fans in the building on Friday and
1: I love it mate. And it's I so love good. the rivalries that this year is bringing. You know, we're all working behind the scenes but we, when we get on the court we want to we want to kick each other's ass so <laughs> <laughs> we got we got the breakers on Friday, but the crosstown rivals, look at the Hawks coming in on Sunday. right. And so it's it's gorgeous return to Sydney. Um, you know it's it's exciting for a lot of people is is he's done a phenomenal job with that team to go four and one, but four and zero to start the season, how they did. Um, they they exceed a lot of people's expectations. I think they've got a long way to go. They got a great squad, and um, I'm excited to get them in the building, but, when the ball throws up in the air, mate, it's, it, gloves are off. So, <laughs> um, uh, I, mate, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a long time coming, and and anytime you want to give me uh, give me another shout and another chance, let me know. So,
0: great stuff, man. Thanks, Eves, and, and be well. Cheers, mate.